0: My dad told me, if you can learn this and you go to any restaurant, 19, 20 years old, and you can learn how to do this, you'll be paid more than any of the of the line cooks that are starting on, the, on prep or on the fryers. This is just what he wanted us to have in mind. And it, w- it was true because for a while, I realized that I always earned a little bit more than fellow cooks. And it definitely was because sushi is a particular skill that a lot of cooks don't really care about unless... They're in love with Japanese food or sushi itself. Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown, a series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process with your host, Emmanuel.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Flavors Unknown podcast. Today, we are here at Itamae, a Nikkei-style restaurant in the design district of Miami with the talented chef, Nando Chang. Itame was a recommendation from Chef Jared Foreman of Dead Horse Hill in Worcester, Massachusetts. And we are thrilled to be here to talk about Nando's unique culinary background and his passion for Nikkei cuisine. I am your host, Emmanuel LaRoche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US. And every other week, I have genuine conversations with acclaimed chefs, pastry chefs, and mixologists from around the country to talk about their creative process, their path to success, and how their culinary heritage influenced their creative process. Chef Nando grew up in Peru, where he was exposed to a rich tapestry of flavors and aroma. He shares with us the food and smells that reminds him of his childhood and how his passion for cooking started. We learn about his culinary background and who has been the most influential person in his career. As we delve into Peruvian food and Nikkei cuisine, chef Nando explained how he defines Peruvian cuisine, how it differs from other Latin American countries, and his top three must-try Peruvian and Nikkei dishes. He shared with us his journey of learning the sushi trade and how he describes Itamay. It's a family affair at Itamay with Chef Nando's working alongside his sisters and father. We'll learn about how they work together and their individual areas of focus. Chef Nando's source of inspiration, creative process, and menu development will also be discussed. So join us as we explore the unique and delicious world of Nikkei cuisine with Chef Nando Chang at Itamai. Hi, Chef. How are you?
0: Hello, Mr. Manuel. How are you? Thank I'm very having. good.
1: Oh, you're welcome. You know, after I uh, came here with my kids the other day and tasting your food here at Tamai, I definitely wanted to have you on the show.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was a, it's always a pleasure and really an honor. I had come into the the podcast via Chef Eric Ramirez. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of his. And yeah. I had, I'd heard him. I think I, I saw him repost the podcast first and I got to listen to it. And I've been trying to take a listen whenever I
1: could. Good, it's pretty cool. Good. Good. So a tip for people listening and the chefs that are guests on my podcast, don't forget to repost because then you spread the word and <laughs> other right. people hear about it. That's, That's right. how it works. <laughs> so we are here in the design district at the moment of Miami. And so it's a Nikkei restaurant, which means, you know, a Peruvian Japanese style of cuisine. And I, I want to go back and I mean, to start the discussion with your childhood in Peru, because that's part of your, you know, heritage. So you grew up in Peru. And I just want to know, if you close your eyes, you know, what is the food and the aroma, the smell that reminds you of your childhood?
0: I would say a lot of fish, a lot of shellfish, lots of lime, chilies. You could always smell chili, cilantro. I smelled a lot of cilantro growing up. Chili, lime, it just smells like uh, when you walk into a A ceviche bar. You just, you just know it. It just smells a certain way. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know why, but I always think of pork fat. You know, I think maybe because we use manteca so much. There was like an arroz con chancho, like a pork rice at the Mm -hmm. house. That smell just makes me feel very nostalgic. Yeah. And that's kind of what. I accept that
1: <laughs> when we're in service. You so know? you want to translate <laughs> your childhood memories into the cult- the restaurant concept. So and then you grew up about I would say like almost like a day driving north of Lima on the coast of Peru. So what was like the characteristic of the food you know in that part of the country?
0: Very marine focus. You know, I mean, in 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 Peru, I think from what I remember, we grew up eating. I want to say our main protein is chicken. Then once a week, you're going to have something fish or shellfish, and then you'll have beef or, you know, goat once a week. In Chiclayo, the difference was that we'll have maybe chicken three, four times a week, and those other two, three days will be something from the ocean.
1: Okay. And Chiclayo is the town where you grew up, correct?
0: Yes. Yes. The state, if you want to translate it that way, of Lambayeque.
1: What about all those great chiles, like the ají? Yeah, yeah, that was part as well of what you grew up with. Oh, um, yeah. The I mean,
0: yeah, we grew up eating... I grew up eating very spicy food. Actually, not just myself. My sister and I grew up eating very spicy foods. Yeah, we've never... Maybe we've toned it down a little bit now mm-hmm. that we're a little bit older, but we've always cooked with chilies. Even... When you grow up and you start making pastas at home or or, or risotto, will always have some sort of spice, always. And that's definitely an influence from eating, you know, hot chilies early mm-hmm. on. You know, my dad had a story that he would give me like a piece of hot chili when I was like two years old, and I would start running in circles, but I would always come back and be like, "I want more," and he would give me, and he would laugh while he would watch me like run circles around the house and do it. He was always tell me that so okay. he knew. He was getting me addicted to it, and he was perfectly <laughs> fine with it. <laughs> that's
1: funny. I just came back from Peru not too long ago, and that's always something that fascinated me was like all the different types of sauces that you know Peruvian cuisine has. Huancaina sauce—it's like amazing. I discovered as well, I don't know why it was not in my mind, but, you know, like the olive sauce and for like the black olive sauce for, especially for octopus, that blew my mind. That was really, really good. And I was not associating olives and Peru, but obviously that's, I'm guessing the Spanish, you know, influence that brought probably olives, you know, in the country. Yes. Long, long time ago. So for people that are listening to, you know, to the podcast, can you talk a little bit about the, the Peruvian cuisine? and especially the Nikkei cuisine. So what, what is it? What type of cuisine? Because it's very rich, Peru.
0: Yeah, I mean, Peruvian food, really rich in, in diversity. I mean, you have so many generations of people that came from so many different parts of the world that have contributed to, to what is now known as Peruvian cuisine. I'll never forget something that I think it's, it, it, this was a, a French cook that I, I, I worked with at one point, I think, in a, in a Japanese restaurant that told me like, oh, how would you guys make in without cheese? And cheese had not been done in Peru until Europeans taught us mm-hmm. how to make cheese. So the sauce that everybody loves the most to eat with potatoes in Peru, yes. would that in itself, it it's, would not have been done without the European influence. Yeah. You know, to the, to the Peruvian population, you know, ceviche itself would not be what it is today without the Japanese Japanese influence, you know.
1: So the Criollo is the one that, the first one you you talk about with the Spanish influence.
0: There's a a really strong African presence there. Okay. It's it's Creole food. This is Mm -hmm. soul food. This is things that, uh, you know, slaves in Peru would cook. For themselves, you know, it's similar to what we consider Southern food here in the States, where you hear the history of like, how did we come across certain dishes that we eat in the South? And you're like, oh, this was food that slaves made. And it was so good that then it, it became popular for everybody else to eat.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, talking about the so the African influence, do you have like an example of a dish?
0: Yeah, I think our carapulcra, which then, is when. <laughs> this is like a dried potato a stew. Yeah, there's also I think something that we call mondongo, which is what we eat tripe with like aji amarillo. It's all these stews in basically have some some influence from somewhere else that wasn't like indigenous to to
1: Peru, mm-hmm. you know. And then you have the Nikkei cuisine, which is the Japanese influence. Then we have, yeah, you know, then we have uh, chifa uh, also, and and chifa, which yeah. is a Chinese, mm-hmm. for sure. So an example
0: from, uh, and then we have bachiche, too, which is like the Italian influence. In, okay, in Peru, I didn't where know you that. you get way. your 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 Parmesan lechero Tigre that you tried oh, yeah. the other day. Yeah. Remember the the scallop uh, mm-hmm. banyito? Yeah. That is, yeah, that's Italian influence on on
1: Peruvian culture. Okay. And you said the name for this one is what? Like uh, it's name? called bachiche. Bachiche. Okay. So criollo, chifa, Nike, Nike. Bachiche. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: And and then there's like amazonian food that mm-hmm. still hasn't really been explored to that you know to that degree yet out of peru but i've had dishes that are made in the amazon and i think i went to this restaurant in Lima called amas it blew my mind and these were like dishes that i had never had before because i've never traveled to to the amazon in peru so like a, like next- a Juane. have you ever mm-hmm. had no, that no or I, had, I had a i had a ceviche like a like a hot ceviche, also never had that before. Mm-hmm. I had a ceviche with plantains, like with actual plantains in, like eaten with the fish. Which I, I would have like one obviously because I left Peru so early. Every time I go back, it's like
1: rediscovering some part of my heritage. You know. So is the Amazonian influence or type of food from Peru being the next trend? You think after Nike, because Nike is bubbling up a little bit everywhere. Like- yeah. In, in the U.S. at the moment. Mm-hmm. You think that's uh, the Amazonian style is going to be the next wave? It
0: depends, right? It depends on what ingredients we can get here to kind of honor those things, you know, or what ingredients can we find on this side of the world that we could match and make sense of those dishes? Because, yeah, I don't, I'm assuming the hardest part would be how do we bring certain things that are only grow in the jungle mm-hmm. brew? Mm-hmm. Because I know that it's hard for the capital mm. to replicate some of these dishes. So if
1: it's hard enough sure, to make
0: it in Lima, mm-hmm. I yeah, I, I don't know. Sure. I don't know if I don't know if we're there yet. Okay. I don't I don't
1: Got it. Do you have any favorite dishes, you know, from Peruvian cuisine? I'm not talking that you are yeah. making, just Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which my one?
0: Seco. Seco is my favorite thing. To eat. A good seco norteño. Okay, so this what is, like, what is uh, the dish? This is a goat stew. made with basically like a a, aji amarillo sofrito. It's dark beer, lots of cilantro, and loche, which is like a northern squash that we have. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you let it cook for hours. And it's always served with white rice and cannery beans. And it's, I don't know, it's one of those things where I I grew up that I would always tell my grandma like, if she asked me what I wanted to eat, I was going to say seco. So that's comfort food. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. all day. Okay. Which is one of my favorite things to make for people when they come over to my house. Or even when I get to make, I don't make family meal here much, but when I do, I always like to make seco because there's a story for me to tell my cooks, especially if they're American and they don't know much about Peruvian food. It's a good way for me to introduce okay. to them what kind of how I
1: grew up. So that's one dish, two others.
0: Yeah. that's really Ceviche will always be, my favorite
1: So, ceviche or tiradito no
0: ceviche ceviche but here's the thing in chiclayo we have this ceviche that we eat with salt and dried stingray that's called chingirito we actually have some we have some in one of those courts up there i'll show it to you in a bit so we mix we kind of rehydrate the 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 dried stingray Uh and then we add it onto the fish uh, we usually eat our ceviches with with cold beans, cooked but cold beans, mm-hmm. which I love. And that northern ceviche, I love the most. what, also, kind of,
1: what kind of type of beets, beans? Beans.
0: You... Uh, these are cold called... ah. The closest thing to the sarandajas, I think, are like canary
1: beans. Okay, canary beans. Yeah. Okay. So you you you're talking about no no not tiradito ceviche. So first, what's the difference between the two for people listening, and then why not tiradito for you, especially with you know the Japanese you know, style that you are using as well here in the itamai.
0: I think a tierrito is a little bit more complex because you're, one, you're not tossing your fish mm-hmm. in the citrus. So for me, a tierrito has to be like about the sashimi. So I also don't like to add too many ingredients on a tierrito. For me, it's about you picking up the pieces of sashimi, you know, a little bit of the sauce and enjoying the actual sashimi more than anything. That's kind of how we also break down the itamay menu. Like, our sashimi dishes are the tiritos, and nigiris are still nigiris. And that's our way of paying homage to traditional Japanese sushi okay. bars. But ceviches can be made with anything. Mm-hmm. Ceviche de conchas negras, ceviche mm-hmm. de palabritas. Uh, palabritas. blood. you ever had blood clams? Mm-mm. No. no? Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Okay. Like one of the most amazing things you will ever eat, and only found in the north of Peru. You, you can find them in Lima and whatnot, okay. but... Traditionally it's like that's where it comes from. That's where
1: the best are served for sure. I love to make it with scallops. That's myself. what I
0: would say so. is my third yeah. most favorite dish ever, ceviche de conchas negras. And okay. they call that leche de tigre, they call leche de pantera, like black panther milk. Instead of tiger milk, sure. it's just like a dark leche de tigre. We've made it before here with so a the dark comes egg. from
1: what? So the squid ink.
0: No, from the um, hemoglobin in the in the actual
1: clam. Oh, okay. Okay. So for people listening as well, what is like the main ingredients in the liquidity degree?
0: After six years for us, it's now lime juice, garlic, ají limo, and salt. That's it. That's it. That's it. We took away... The fish uh, stock, we yeah. took away celery, we took away the ginger, Yeah, we took away... Even the ginger, okay. Hmm. Because for Val and I, and I, I want to make sure I say this because it's obviously, this effort was as, is, is as much my sister's as sure. as it is anybody who's worked with it and I. And I remember Val and I going through, obviously, our, our discussions about our legend, trying to work... Look, this Persian line that we were inundated with in, in Miami, which is this Mexican lime that, that mm-hmm. we work with here, it's about six times the size of a Peruvian lime. Yeah. And it's a city so different than anything we were working with in Peru or we, where we're used to that we've had to find a balance for this for this lime. Because mm-hmm. just grabbing a recipe from a traditional leche de tigre from Peru will not work. The citrus, it's, it's totally different. Yeah. It's totally, it won't work. So we... At some point, we got rid of a couple of things to simplify it. And then what we ended up with is a very strong Lecce de Tigre that that works for this line very, okay. very well.
1: Okay. And you said you are, you are using Ari Limo. So if people cannot find Ari Limo, what do you substitute it with? Because Ari Limo is not available everywhere, like throughout the US.
0: Look, I do not like... I'll tell you what I don't like. I don't like... Like you could confit like jalapeno peppers and then make like a cream out of them yeah. and then add, emulsify your leche with this cream. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have like a jalapeno leche and I'm fine with that. But I do not like chopping jalapenos and adding them oh. to the mother leche. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I don't. The only pepper that I find as close to a but it's much more spicy is habanero or mm-hmm. scotch bonnets, which grow locally here. Yeah. Yeah. I love those two peppers. If I don't have ajilimo, I definitely go for that. I I just think they have that as, that, that brightness that I'm always looking for. It's just that habaneros are like really, really spicy. But they have that brightness because I think that's what ajilimo is. They're mild, but they're very, very brightful. So
1: We are in Itamai here today. And so how would you describe, you know, to someone that never been here, you know, the style of cooking that you serve? At the restaurant,
0: I like to refer to ourselves as a uh, fine dining cevicheria. Almost, I grew up in ceviche bars. Mm-hmm. It's what I enjoy the That's most. That's your childhood memory, you yeah. Said. So, yeah. so my idea of itamai is that. But we work with the finest ingredients. We source the best ingredients that we can, okay. and then the result is obviously an elevated, uh, an elevated product. But I think at the, at the heart, we're still that a cevicheria, which means for me, you're going to have ceviches, broths of some sort, a couple of fried dishes and a couple of rice dishes. And that's it. Cause that's what you eat in a cevicheria. You go for your ceviche, mm-hmm. maybe a little arroz con mariscos, maybe a small jalea. And that's your trifecta. For me, that's, that's our trifecta. Now right. our rice dishes have evolved and become. Our nigiri which really comes from obviously our my father and I is like sushi training yeah. but we also have like a arroz con mariscos like a, arroz meloso like a clam rice okay. that's what i think itama is really like is if you enjoy cevicherias, you would really enjoy okay. itamai cuz you're going to have you're going to get hit with 12 13 different lechere tigres and even though they're all lechere tigres they all have a very distinct flavor
1: you know? Yeah, but you have, like, the, the nigiri aspect, too, which yeah. is, like, a big part of the menu, too, mm-hmm. which is, for me, like, different from a ceviche area, correct? So, yeah. Because uh, you can do, like, a whole meal here, if you want, with different plates of nigiri that are fantastic, different profile, you know, it brings different flavors. It is definitely not like a sushi place, traditional, where you have rolls. I think that it's clear that it's, uh, you know, you have those amazing individual bites, you know, with like a different world almost of taste, you know, from each of them, which I say it's, it's, it's fantastic. But it's, it's very... So for me, there's like two different very part of the menu, which is like the, the ceviche on one aspect and then the, the nigiri, you know, on the, on the other end. So yeah, that's interesting that you describe it as... But even our
0: nigiris idea. all have some sort of acidity. to it. Like, for example, the, the scallop nigiri... Mm-hmm. It's made with what well, we pair it with apple banana, yeah. but the apple banana puree has, ah uh, okay you know, because that the apple banana in itself has a it's got a great acidity. I We all really enjoy it, but the leche takes it to the edge and that's where I like it. So okay. people go, oh man, this scallop is different. This is like salty, sweet, and like spicy, uh-huh. but it's
1: toned, you know? So
0: I think that's, I don't know, that's the line that I kind of like to... Okay,
1: I wanted to ask you the question how Itamai is different as a Nikkei restaurant from other Nikkei restaurants in the country. I'm guessing the ceviche aspect is? or no, like the ceviche slash nigiri? I also
0: think that we're very different in the sense that we are a pescatarian restaurant, Mm -hmm. which most Nikkei restaurants here in in the U.S. have not done that. Everybody wants to have some sort of meat dish and it's great, but I don't care much for... Yakitori in a Nikkei restaurant, I'll tell you that. Because it's not something that we saw Japanese people do in Peru. We ate anticuchos, but anticuchos did not come from Japanese people in Peru. So I really wanted to, and I'm still trying to, just master the basics, which is what sushi chefs would have wanted to eat. I think of like if a sushi chef left Japan and landed in Peru and had to relearn himself again... Through Peruvian ingredients, that is kind of how I think of Itamayes
1: food. Okay, but you're doing through the lens of Miami.
0: Yes. Then, okay. because now I'm yeah. an immigrant sure. here.
1: Yeah. But yes. Okay. So what does that mean, looking at it through the lens of Miami? So you you are using obviously you are trying to use as much as possible local ingredients, correct? So can you give us some examples of you know how um, it illustrates? Yeah. So in, in from
0: the our you know, some of the proteins we'll use local squid, local shrimps, local snappers that we use a lot, local lobsters, like spiny lobsters we get. And then fruits will go into everything that's like mame, passion fruit. So, we where use, do
1: you use mame? Sorry, just.
0: We use mame in our marinade for any of our roasted fish, collars, heads, tails. We, uh, we make a marinade based with ajipanca. It is known as a, an anticuchera marinade. It's very similar to how you marinate beef heart before you yeah. grill it in Peru when you make anticuchera. But we use this to, to roast all of our fish. But we incorporated mame mm-hmm. into, the, into the, to the marinade. And it works really well. Mame is like, it's sweet and it holds that smokiness from the ajipanca very well.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. I hope mame is going to spread a bit more. You know, throughout the country, because you cannot find mame, mame everywhere yet. And then a lot of people don't know what still, what mame, you know. And we is. have
0: a, I'm sure you had this fruit in Peru. We had a similar. Oh, Lucuma? Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> similar, right? Yes. You know, yeah. similar. not similar not the same. in texture. Yes.
1: Ah, yeah. It's it's almost like a hybrid between mam- a mamey and avocado, or <laughs> with a with a butterscotch, you <laughs> know, taste. It's actually which is interesting. a fruit
0: that grows in Miami that we've used last year. That's called canistel, and canistel is literally lucuma. Yeah, it's lucuma. It's so, so similar to okay. Canistel yeah. equals and this lucuma. grows here. It's amazing
1: that we don't
0: see it in a lot of more restaurants. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I love lucuma. In fact. For the little story, I think I even mentioned it to you when we met the other day, is like Eric Ramirez was the chef that introduced me to Locuma, I would say probably now 15 years ago. And he was still when he was at this former, like the restaurant, uh, Remy, nice. in uh, in New York, and invited me in the kitchen and he opened the freezer And he took, like, a bag, you know, from the freezer with ice cream in there and then scooped it. And he said, do you know Lukuma? And I said, no, I have no idea. I don't even know what you are saying. (laughs) (laughs) So, and he is, yeah, so he offered me a spoon of, of Lukuma. And that was my first encounter with that fruit. It's amazing. So, yeah, yeah. But... Yes, I, we don't see it like very often yet here in the in the US.
0: That's pretty awesome, like, So the, you're
1: talking about mame, You were mentioning passion fruits. What are like the other? So you use passion? We use a lot of local avocado, avocado which oh, is a fruit. Okay. Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, we use a lot of local avocado in Peru. We use a lot of avocado, which is called palta. Mm-hmm. We use a lot of avocado.
1: Okay, but other fruit like so passion fruit. You use it in leche de tigre as well. We
0: or? are using it now. Th- no, unfortunately, passion fruit because it's 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 rare here, in Miami. We when it comes from my local farm here, it's pretty expensive and doesn't yield much. So for us, it, we turn it into juice and we then freeze it and shave it for our dessert.
1: And you don't have a grenadillo that you had in we Peru, have which is fine. When yeah, I, I love when Val and
0: I have brought, you know, yeah. I, I want to say Val. My sister is like the contraband queen. And <laughs> she, uh, I don't know how she does it. And every time we, you know, maybe I shouldn't say this because <laughs> we've been lucky many times. But I'll tell you this. We usually load up the bags before we come back from Peru. And one of us will say, well, if you get caught, I'll get through. <laughs> if you get caught, then you'll get through. So <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how, how we've done it. And okay, when we've had Granadilla, Rita it's yeah. because she's usually broke. Yeah.
1: If you like this episode of the Flavors Unknown podcast, I have a message for you now. Kick off the new year with a gift to yourself and get my new book, Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door, published last November. You will receive a signed copy of the book if you order it from my website at flavorsunknown.com. So let's talk about your family. You mentioned your sister before, you mentioned your dad. So obviously this restaurant and the other, you know, food venues that you have, it's very much of a family story. I'm curious how it works because... You know, when you have a family business and when, like for you, your case, three family members are really in the business, you know, it's there's some positive side of it. And, there's you know, it's tough as well. So how do you guys, you know, work together and what are everyone's uh, like areas of expertise? We don't work together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, Eric, that's, why work wh- that's why it's work here. That's
1: why it's worked well. <laughs> My father's
0: over there. Val's over there. That's how we get along. (laughs) No. Yeah. I mean, truthfully, this is not a, this is not an easy dynamic to explain, but we just get through it because we're family. You know, we respect each other. I think it's it's taken time obviously to develop that. There's always a bit of competition between brothers and sisters, though, for the record, I consider my sister to be a much better chef
1: than I am. I should have interviewed her. You
0: mean? No, no. But yeah, it's. You keep things in perspective because you're still family, but Val and I are a little bit more career oriented. Like this is our career and we wanna make sure that we are the best version of ourselves. My father saw this as a business. That's a real balance that you have to find at some point because it's just like our father becoming our investor where the chef wants to do all these creative things and does not wanna care about the business or the numbers or the finances and but you have your dad there going i will check you on all these things so yeah i think that is the dynamic that you know the three of us have been able to to develop and 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 really over time and and i really mean that we've had plenty of fights and big fights and but it's all because we are all looking for the same thing we all just want this company to grow and and to give us all an opportunity to have better lives, you know, because my dad definitely taught us that very early on. Okay? He didn't. He taught us don't take too many pay cuts because this business is brutal. Mm-hmm. So make sure that you're maximizing yourselves also because you won't be able to do this forever. And at some point, you're gonna have to sit down and make sure that your your pockets are good so you can be okay, you know. But then there's that other side like. That like I was saying, like Val and I grew up, which is money is almost secondary at this point. It's really about what I, what can I do as a chef? How far can we push ourselves? But that's risky, mm-hmm. you know, because you you can be blinded by this and not care about other things to set your your future up. I think my dad has always kept that very very clear to us that like no, we're gonna make sure that through all this, you guys have to be good after. Because my dad also is one of those dads who says, hey, I'm not going to be working forever. So, you know, get as much as you can now because at some point you're going to be on your own, kids. And, and I feel like Val and I have been on our own for a while. <laughs> but he still likes to remind us of, of the mere fact that just take care of yourselves. Yeah. This, is, this is brutal, you know. And my dad grew up cooking in late 90s, early 2000s, which it's still a, a rough era for cooking, you know, where mm-hmm. chefs, chefs were rough with, with cooks. Especially
1: immigrants. Yeah. And, yeah. It probably didn't help.
0: And, and my dad either. being Chinese, learning in a Japanese restaurant right. was, was a very hard thing. was a very, very hard thing. I mean, the stories that he would tell me were like, because he was Chinese. So, mm-hmm. you know, what are, what are you doing trying to make Japanese food Is what these people, you know, would tell
1: yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. anything he learned, China. he had to really do it on his own. Yeah. But he taught you and your sister, correct? How to make sushi, for instance. Because yeah. I read somewhere that I think you were still like oldest teenagers and so on to, when he told you guys how to make sushi and said that, you know, if you know how to make sushi, you're always find you know, people to buy it, correct? Totally. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. That, that's what I meant by my dad. My dad told us basically, hey, if... Or at least told me, if you're going to... If you can learn this... And you go to any restaurant, 19, 20 years old, and you can learn how to do this, you'll be paid more than any of the of the line cooks that are starting on the, on prep or on the fryers. <laughs> and I don't know, it's, it's almost like this is just what he wanted us to have in mind. And it, w- it was true because for a, for a while, I realized that I always earned a little bit more than fellow cooks. And it definitely was because sushi is a particular skill that a lot of cooks don't really care about unless they're in love with Japanese food or sushi itself. But for for me, it wasn't just about loving the food. I already grew up eating this and, and, I, and I knew ceviches and tiritos and whatnot. But for me, it was more
1: like learn this cuisine because it could really be helpful later on so you can now really express your creativity in the guideline I would say of the business part from your dad I, <laughs> I don't
0: know if we do it to the extent <laughs> that he would like us to I know he you know he sees invoices sometimes but but that's okay you know but I'm I mean, saying we... is that
1: you have the possibility now with this restaurant to get creative you know between like the ceviche and the nigiri with yeah, the skill sets that you you know your dad gave, you, gave you and I, i'm curious so when you are approaching like a new dish you know on the menu what's how, how does it start what's the what's the source of inspiration for you because you have so many influences you know with the peruvian aspect the chinese aspect of your heritage you know obviously the 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 japanese you know and uh, criollo and in criollo as well criollo obviously.
0: was present 90% of our life. Yeah.
1: So guide us through it. So you, you have to create like a new, a new either ceviche or a new nigiri for the, for the, the menu. How do you get into it? It's
0: nostalgia.
1: It's always nostalgia. for me.
0: I will think of something that I've had before or that I've experienced before. And I'll think of the best way I'd like to, to translate that to my guests so they can have, I guess, the experience that I grew up, even though it's it's not the same, but it's how I think, It's you know? So when I tell you how the um, the Pulpo Olivo came about mm-hmm. even here at Itamai, it's, I think my dad just bought octopus one day, and we had, like, olives in the restaurant. Yeah. We had never made this dish before. The way I had had it growing up when I was a kid is my grandma liked to eat it very traditionally, which was saltine crackers, uh, like an olive tapenade, and... Mm-hmm. And just sliced octopus, but we wanted to make it like a ceviche and you know, make it like more of a yeah, like a, a ceviche. So we kind of added the the leche de tigre to it, a little bit of the the sarsa criolla that goes on top. Yeah.
1: And and what is the what is the profile of the leche de tigre on this one?
0: This one is ajilimo. ajilimo. It's like a classic yeah. leche de tigre. Yep. Okay. But believe it or not, before that I had not seen leche de tigre paired with the olive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know i just i had not paid attention to it i didn't sure. really you know and then we wanted to serve it on top of a maki because at some point for us when we first opened it to mine and guests were just finding out about us a lot of people would come and expect more of a traditional sushi menu mm-hmm. so for example a lot of our dishes are paired with some sort of peruvian sauce and people sometimes in Japan. When they're eating sushi, they find extra sauces to be
1: just not... They're not used to it.
0: Yeah, but it's more like they're not just so used to it. It's, they find it as something to complain about. Oh. So when we started getting these complaints, we were like, oh, you know what? We're not going to dread this, this role and sauce, because this is the way I grew up eating, and this is the way I want you to eat it. I do not care that you think this isn't how you ate it when you were in Tokyo five years ago. I'm not trying That's to not make food from it Tokyo. Is, yeah, yeah. So we call it the bañaritos because we literally, we shower the maki with sauce. So it's like, like para bañarte, to, to shower. So we call them bañaritos. And this is something that literally, like, we did... I don't know, four four years ago and then we started to see a lot of restaurants here, I guess in the area, you know, use oh, really? a little bit of okay. the same approach. Direction. Yeah. Okay. So it's cool. It it I don't mean it in a bad sense. I mean it, it's like you can tell when you've made an impact because similar restaurants will start doing mm-hmm. things like you were doing them.
1: And then we move on to the next thing. And that's So talking about moving on to the next thing, what's the evolution of Tamai? Grilled nice.
0: foods. I think once we get into our space, our our open fire foods is what's going to pair so well with our... I think that's legit for me. That's what I'm looking to do in the next couple of years is that's what I want. I want hot, open, like, fire. And I want to cook, like, this, like the roasted collars that we do. But can you imagine a, an aged collar that goes directly to the grill instead of sure. going in the, in the combi? Now, the oven has done wonders for us and I love it. But I know what it, it would, you know, it would elevate so much if it really, if we really had the proper tools yeah. in this space. That's how I see the mind. That's really what I think is the next step. Big whole squid coming out of the, the grill, you know, to pair with a ceviche, I think mm-hmm. it's, it's great. Mm-hmm.
1: And what about the music in all of this? Because I
0: no, I, we're done.
1: That's my so cue, you guys. You were, <laughs> no, I. Uh, I mean, you were a musician before, right? No, no?
0: I, yeah, I. No, I think what I was is just a very frustrated young man trying to vent out, and I definitely used music to do that. But I, I myself, don't have the want or the personality to be a a musician in the era that we live now, you know, I would have liked to just do music. And if it, if one person heard it, great. If five people heard sure. it 500, great. But I could not deal with the other aspects of trying to be a musician of this, which is, it's a weird thing to say, because a musician should just be concerned with making music, just like sure. a cook should be concerned with cooking. Problem is in the era that we live now with social media and all these things. It's impossible. You can't. You're not afforded that opportunity. If you want to be a cook, you better be like also, I don't know, funny and, and, and handsome or something else. I don't know. I, I, I do feel like the attention is directed towards personalities more than true masters for, for, for people my age, for sure. The young person that's trying to go into either cooking or making music does not understand this very well mm-hmm. and in in the journey to become this it's gonna find troubling because right. because instead of you just being able to focus on your craft on the basics on your yeah. fundamentals to get better you also have to deal with all these other things that are going around you i think uh, if you're a, a little bit older maybe you can understand all these things all these dynamics and you can maneuver around them yeah. properly i don't know if i feel like young people understand this very well. And I mean, it in a sense of I've been around enough young people that care more about their Instagram posts sure. and, and I'm talking about their dish, what that's going to look like, than then they actually enjoy their food. Like I've had, I've been around chefs who have, who know that they do not like the dish that they made because they can't eat it, sure. but, but it still love good. getting the repost in the post yeah. because people like, but I've seen the same people try that dish and not like it. So that for me is like, what, what are we doing then? Then why are you doing it? Ah, it's because it's the one thing that gets you trending. And for me, I, I that is troubling for me. Which is why I kind of went away from music.
1: Okay, so I always ask you know, the, the guests on the podcast to share... Not a recipe, but kind of a more like high-level guidelines with ingredients and so on. A suggestion for a home cook like myself, you know, to make at home. So, obviously here, thinking about ceviche, what would you suggest us to make with, you know, a Nando Chang's, you know, spin to it?
0: Hmm, interesting. I like fish and shellfish. I like ceviche mixtos more than I like ceviches of just fish. I do. I, I love tasting... Like clams with fish. I
1: love tasting mussels or scallops, I think. You octopus. octopus. Yeah, yeah. scallops. Mm-hmm. So, if I want to do one with scallops, with which fish are you going to put it with? Scallops and what?
0: Look, I like all kinds of fish on ceviche. Okay. I really do. We've made like Bonito ceviche here, which is like unheard of because, you know, Bonito is going to cook as soon as it hits mm-hmm. the, the leche. But we've, I, if I like, Fish. So, if if for me, once I taste it, if it makes sense, even though it's it's a stronger fish, I'm totally okay with it. But I would say my favorite fish to eat ceviche with is either grouper or flounder. Lenguado. Okay. Now, the second thing that I was gonna say is, aside from what you're gonna grab, like let's say you grab one fish, one shellfish, great. The second thing to not make it just Nando Chang style but Itami style is. Get rid of that damn fish stock. Get rid of it. Just whatever, however you're going to make your leche, balance it with just the lime, the chilies, saltiness that you need, oh.
1: and then your aromatics. That's really it. So what kind of aromatics do you put? Do you uh,
0: we, I, I love cilantro. I love cilantro. I love cilantro and ceviche. I really do. And if you're going to do that, the third thing would be, which is a very itamai thing is, We started using olive oil in our food a lot. Once we took out the fish stock, once we removed all these things that I was telling you about earlier, we figured out that the best way to balance that out was adding olive oil to a lot of our dishes. So when people come in, it's like, I've never seen a ceviche with like olive oil like this Mm -hmm, or a mm -hmm. bañarito or because you need it. Because something has to balance out like, you know, how strong the punch that our leche has. Okay.
1: Yeah. And then going back to the Chile. So if you cannot find a limo, then we can try to do something with like jalapeno you mentioned, you know, before.
0: Yes. But remember, not not on the leche. Not- yeah. oh, like yeah, you yeah. can You're cook right. the jalapenos, blend them, sure. make like a paste and then yep. add that, yep. emulsify with your leche. But I wouldn't, I don't like how jalapenos taste with just raw lime juice. I don't like it. I don't know. I, don't, I just, not my thing. I don't know. I do like Serrano's. You know, I think serranos, you can literally like cut two with seeds and veins and just leave them in your leches steeping before you serve it. And you'll get enough heat out of that. You'll be like, you know, and it won't be overly like.
1: Very good. So we're almost done, but I have a few rapid fire questions for you. So, you and I are going in a tasting tour in Miami. So. I
0: wanted to tell you something uh, that I was actually really... And I meant to tell you this. Because of your connection with Eric. Yes. I thought that the duck nigiri I had at Lama San... Ah, yes. ...was one of the best interpretations of a Nikkei dish I've ever had. And my favorite restaurant when it comes to this food has always been Maido. Maido is mm-hmm. my food bible, really. Yeah. But... Man, that was one of the best things I ever ate there. And I was so surprised because Itama and lama are so different it because is, yeah. of our fish program
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and our
0: sushi program. And because it's on the strengths of two very different chefs, and I understand that. But yeah. though I came in with a, maybe a closed mind, once I ate there, I was like, oh, this is really good Nikkei food. Yeah. <laughs> so shout okay. out to chefs okay you know to chef Eric Ramirez yeah. from, from Lama Inn and Lama San but
1: that
0: was yeah. my outside of Mito. that's the my one of the best bites I've ever had okay I make sure that. I also uh, want to clarify that my sister, before I even, if, years before I actually had the duck nigiri at Lama San, my sister had made an arroz con patomaki years before, paired with Kaina and sarsa criolla. Oh, wow. Which was the best, the best I've ever had.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> just okay, caring. we have to put your sister and Eric in the same kitchen now.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Good luck with that. Good luck
1: with that. Okay, so rapid fire question. You and I are going on a tasting tour in Miami. What are like the five spots that you are going to take me to? Outside of your restaurants, of course.
0: I'm going to take you to Ariette, Jaguar Sun. I like Sitsum. What is what? Sitsum is Pablo Sitsman's restaurant. It's an Asian-American Asian fusion, I want to say. Yeah. It's really, really good. And... I would take you to get a burger, a smash burger, at USBS,
1: United States Burger Service. Uh, uh, I love burgers. I think I, <laughs> I think I have to stay the next for a week because I think I haven't been to any of those. Okay. So what's your guilty, the, your favorite guilty pleasure food? Ice cream. Okay. Which one now? You have to tell me which flavors. Fish food. Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> okay. It's a fucking problem. <laughs> Oh, okay. Interesting. Three cookbooks that
0: inspired you the most. The Maido book, that's called Nikkei is Peru. Mm. The Contra and Wilder book, the not a serious cookbook, I think it's called. And then I want to say Stella, but I'm speaking for my business partner, Eric Saltzman. <laughs> but for sure, Estella also. The Stella book is pretty good. And it's actually our, one of our favorite restaurants to visit when, when we go to New York. Eric and I try to go to New York as, as much as we can. Okay. Yeah. Because pet peeves in the kitchen slamming doors, okay. making noise when you close the coolers, okay. cleanliness. That's all. That's all. Everything else, you know, we learn. You can correct over and over. But pet peeves, things that I really hate is like people slamming doors. Like, what the fuck?
1: Last questions. Behind the classics in terms of, Sauces, spices, condiment. what do you like to have on hand at home?
0: I have frozen leche de tigre all the time at home <laughs> that we take from here. I I, I think the the thing that I, I I really like to have at home is aji amarillo crema, which is like the way we confit aji amarillo peppers with a garlic and onion, and I use that for any sofrito that I'm making at home. Does not matter what dish we're making at home, like my fiance and I, but sure. we'll 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 be using aji amarillo on something. Sure. I just, I love the flavor of, of that pepper, you know, and it just enhances the sofrito so much. So.
1: Chef, thank you very much for thank your time. You. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. It's, it's nice an, an honor to have you. Thank you for having And then uh, I'll send the link to Eric Ramirez when he's on. Uh, and you send know, it uh, to me on Instagram. I will repost. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Flavors Unknown podcast with Chef Nando Chang from Itamae in the Design District of Miami. We hope you enjoy learning about Nikkei Cuisine and Chef Nando's unique approach to Peruvian food. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family who love food and cooking. And don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us to create better content for you. In our next episode, we'll be featuring Chef Derek Wagner from Nick's on Broadway in Providence, Rhode Island. We can't wait to share his story and unique culinary vision with you. And don't forget to check out the next episode of Trending the Future, where we'll be exploring the fascinating world of Oja Santa. And until then, keep in mind that the people who likes to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at Flavors Unknown and visit us at flavorsunknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.